So today I just want to do a one-part message called Appreciate. And I don't know about you guys, I love movies. Like, I so, so enjoy a good movie. And one of the things I love about movies, really good movies, is when I'm watching a movie, and in the beginning of that movie, there is just this amazing setup, right? There's this incredible setup that the writers and the actors are bringing to life on the screen. And it leads to this amazing outcome. You know those movies where you're watching it and the setup was just perfect and then you get to the end and your mind is just blown and you're like, you sit back sometimes and, and even maybe you rewatch the movie and you appreciate the setup and how it led to this amazing outcome. A couple movies that come to mind when I think about that. One is called The Prestige. If you guys ever saw that one, Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale, incredible movie. You're watching it and you're like, what is going on? And they just have you in this incredible setup. And then when you get to the end, you're just like, the outcome, oh my gosh, that was incredible. Another movie that comes to mind, this was a little further back, is The Sixth Sense. I remember Bruce Willis and that creepy little kid. Um, And so, incredible thing, man. You're watching this movie and you're just completely drawn in. And then all of a sudden you start to go, wait, what just happened at the end there? And it's that incredible setup that makes you appreciate this incredible outcome. Now tonight, I want to talk with you about the story of God and mankind and how God weave this amazing, incredible setup so that we could appreciate an, an even more amazing outcome, okay? And that might sound a little bit vague, but, but I think you'll understand what I'm talking about as we continue to work through this here tonight, because the truth is God created the most incredible plot of all time when it came to this story of God and mankind. And I want us to appreciate what we have in that story. You see, here's what I think. I think a lot of us don't appreciate, and I'm guilty of this too, we don't appreciate all that God has done in this beautiful story he's woven together for us. And I think that happens for a bunch of different reasons. Some examples of reasons why we might not quite appreciate all that God's done for us like we could and like we should and this beautiful story he's woven together. Uh, one of them is just the difficulties of life, you know? Sometimes you feel really close to God. Maybe you, you put your faith in Jesus, you're really excited about your relationship with God, and all of a sudden some bad things start to happen and you become a little bit disappointed. You go through some difficult seasons in life. Maybe you go through some unanswered prayer. And that appreciation you once had for God and what he's done for us and this story of God and mankind and this amazing setup and outcome we're going to talk about tonight, we sort of lose some of that excitement and some of that passion. I get that, man. Life is hard sometimes. And when we go through that, we can sort of distance ourselves from that closeness with Jesus and some of that appreciation we once had. I think another reason that we can sometimes struggle with losing our appreciation here is just being so used to it all. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes we're so close to all this Christian stuff that the excitement dies down. That we're just so used to it that it's like, man, it just I kind of know all this stuff and I don't really know how to revive my heart and get passionate about this again. You know what I mean? Now, if you're a new Christian, this probably isn't a problem for you right now. But many of us in the room, we've been around Christianity for a long time long time. I grew up in a, the most Christian home you could find, you know. My dad's a pastor. My mom was a worship pastor her whole life. Um, I mean, so much Christian expo- exposure, you know. I mean, if the doors in the church were open, we were there. Like, if the pastor was washing the windows, we were in the front row, row watching him. Like, preacher, nobody washes windows like you, man. You're so anointed. What an anointed window washer you are. We were just, we were there, right? No matter what was going on. 
Um, we, we always used to, you know, joke that if you went up to one of our pets, because we believe they had a relationship with Jesus, you went up to my dog and said, heal, he'd go look for a sick person and start praying for him, you know? So some of you will get that joke later on tonight, or maybe next week, but we'll talk. Um, but man, just such Christian environment. You couldn't find a more Christian environment. And so I have heard probably, my gosh, tens of thousands of sermons. You know, a Christian school, Christian college, right, working at a church. And so I understand sometimes we're just so close to it that we lose some of that appreciation of what we have in God and what he's done for us. And I kind of want to revive that again in our hearts tonight. I want us to celebrate this beautiful story, this setup and the outcome of God's story with mankind. Just sort of the last example I'll give is some of us, we don't appreciate what we have in God because we don't realize or maybe we forgot that it hasn't always been like now. That God's interaction with mankind hasn't always been like you and I know it, you know? So we came into church tonight, and we just sang with an incredible band, and we're celebrating God, and we're excited. It wasn't always like this. We couldn't always just access God like we can today. And sometimes we forget that, you know? Anybody have a grandpa or a grandma? Usually it's a grandpa who tries to get you to appreciate what you have here and now by telling you how terrible things were when he was a kid. Right? Don't we all have that crazy grandpa, right, who does that, you know? And I have to feel, I feel like my grandpa would, like, push the envelope of stuff or kind of twist stuff or, like, I don't know. I felt like he was going a little far. He'd be like, man, when I was a kid, we used to walk to school and we had no shoes and we wore the same clothes all week. And if we were bad on the bus, our bus drivers would beat us. But grandpa, I thought you walked to school. Don't be disrespectful, you know? All right, dude, you're making stuff up now. This isn't even, I mean, come on. You know, so it, it just felt like grandpa was pushing the envelope a little bit. But his, his goal was good. His goal was to show me that compared to what he knew a long time ago, what we have now is amazing and our hearts should be so appreciative. And tonight, I'm grandpa, right? I'm going to remind you that the story of God and mankind didn't always look like what you and I know today. Now, maybe some of you aren't followers of Jesus and you don't know why on earth anyone would appreciate anything about God. Because as far as you know, God's here to ruin our fun and to disappoint us and to give us a bunch of rules and sort of spoil of everything, right? Well, tonight, I want us to get a fresh look at God and see this beautiful story of mankind and this outcome that only is more beautiful because of the incredible setup that God set in motion. Now, the reason it's so important that we talk about this is because as we lose that appreciation with God, there are some side effects to that. There's some side effects sometimes when we lose our appreciation with God. Let me give you guys a few examples of some of these side effects. One is when we don't appreciate all that God's done for us, our relationship with God becomes stale, right? It just becomes stale, you know? It becomes lifeless. It becomes kind of boring. And the reason that's true is because we are passionate about what we appreciate, aren't we? Right? So, like, I love baseball, and I appreciate baseball, so I'm passionate about it, and I watch it, and I enjoy it, and I go to games, and I like to play it, and I like to coach it. And Now, if that appreciation of baseball went away, so would my passion. And I'd turn on the game, and I'd be like, this is boring. I'd be out on the field like, this is terrible. Oh, my gosh. And, but no, because I appreciate it, I'm passionate about it. So when we lose some of that appreciation, some of that passion dies down. Maybe that's where some of you are tonight. Like, man, what's wrong with my passion level? Well, maybe our appreciation of Jesus has devalued, and so has our passion. Another thing that can happen sometimes is when we don't appreciate all that God's done for us, we don't really tell many people about him, do we? We don't really tell many of our friends about Jesus. 
when we don't appreciate them, right? That's because we talk about what we appreciate, don't we? Right? What happens when you find a new restaurant that you love? You talk about it. You tell everybody about it. I've been talking about Chick-fil-A a lot over the last six months. I love Chick-fil-A. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I get over there, and there's nothing better than the number three 12 count with a large Dr. Pepper and a little bit of ice. My pleasure. That's what they say. My pleasure, right? Isn't that a glorious thing? Every time you order, my pleasure. Can I have that extra fry? Just one extra fry. My pleasure. Can I, you got to put some salt on top? My pleasure. Can you guys give me all my money back? No, but my pleasure. Right? I mean, just there's such good attitudes, you know? And I love going there. And I love talking about Chick-fil-A. And it's actually a problem. And I texted Brian Beasley the other day, who owns the Comac Chick-fil-A. I said, Brian, my, my, my kids are worried about me. My wife is upset with me. I'm addicted to Chick-fil-A, and I don't know what to do. <laughs> I'm in trouble. I walk into church this morning, and several people from our church are employed there. They got me a bag of chocolate chunk cookie, Dave, our bass player, to turn me into a chocolate chunk. That's what's going to happen here. But I love Chick-fil-A. And so I'm talking about it, and I'm telling everybody about it, right? Because you talk about what you appreciate. So when we stop appreciating God, we stop talking about God, don't we? We stop sharing God. And so it's so important that we work on this, right? Last thing I'll give you here, when we don't appreciate all that God's done for us, we will struggle with sin more. We're going to struggle with sin more. Why is that true? It's true because we honor what we appreciate or who we appreciate. You know what I mean? Like if I appreciate my wife, do you know what I'm going to do with my life? I'm going to honor her with the decisions that I make, right? I'm not perfect. I'm not going to get it right every time. But there's going to be a general overall sense. If you were to examine my life overall, if I appreciate my wife, I'm going to honor her in many of the decisions that I make. And the same is true with God. And when some of that appreciation goes out the window, suddenly sin looks more appetizing, doesn't it? And suddenly I'm more drawn to things I shouldn't be drawn to do, right? And so this whole idea of appreciating God is so important. And so tonight I just want to kind of remind us to revive and rediscover some of this appreciation of God. And all of a sudden, we're going to begin to see that our passion is worked out. We're starting to share our faith again. And man, suddenly we're starting to see that when our passion and our appreciation of Jesus is in the right place, that we're going to be struggling with sin less and less, right? And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, like I said earlier, we're so glad you're in the room. And we just hope that you'll discover along with us tonight, as maybe some of us in the room rediscover, why there's so much to appreciate about what God has done for us. And so here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look in the book of Hebrews again. You guys can open up your Bibles if you want to Hebrews 12. We were in Hebrews 11 last week. So open up your Bibles if you want. The verses will be on the screen as well. And in what we're going to be looking at tonight, we we need to understand something. We need to understand that in this story of God and mankind, so far there have been three acts, okay? The first act was God creating woman and man and them living in this perfect, beautiful relationship with perfect access to one another. Adam and Eve could approach God whenever they wanted. There was no sin in the way. There was no issue. And if I could just remind you, you and I, we were created for act one. We were created for that unhindered, close relationship with Jesus. But then came act two, right? And in act two, mankind sinned. And in act two, everything changed. In act two, Adam and Eve now have sinned. They're over here, and there is a wall built made of their sin. And God's on the other side. And it's part of act two that is the setup. See, act two is the setup for the amazing outcome that we're going to look at in act three in just a few minutes. But what I want to do is turn into grandpa for a minute, and I want you to look at act two for a little while. And I want us to look at how God and mankind interacted 
And I'll tell you what, by the end of the night, I hope that as we've seen what it used to be like for someone to approach God, and now we look at what we have now, we will appreciate all the more what God has given us in this relationship with him here today. And so look at this, Hebrews 12 he compares what, what it was like to approach God back in the day in the Old Testament before Jesus came, Act 2, and then later he'll compare it with what we have now. So let's check out Hebrews twelve eighteen. It says this, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm. Well, what is this talking about? I'm just going to warn you up front. Some of the verses tonight are pretty confusing, but we're going to work through them and we're going to walk out of here hopefully with a clear thought of what's going on here and know how to apply it to our lives, okay? But what is this talking about? It's talking about when God gave the people the first covenant or the law, okay? So God says, hey, Moses, I'm going to give you these commandments, and I want you to go down this mountain, and I want you to gather all the Israelites together, and I want you to tell them how I expect them to live. And so Moses marches down the mountain, and God's presence is on this mountain, and it is literally flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and storm. Now, some of you are thinking, why? What? That's God? Wait, is God bipolar? Right? Why is he so angry back then and so gracious now? Right? Does he have different personalities? Like, like what's going on here? Why does it seem like this God's so different than the one we're singing to tonight? Well, we're going to work all through that. God's not schizophrenic. He's not bipolar. This is all part of the setup. This is all part of the setup for the amazing outcome that you and I now live in Act 3. You see, what God is establishing here is he is holy and he is different and he is pure and mankind can't casually come into his presence being that we're sinners. And so God here is establishing and purposefully showing I'm very different than you. This is a terrifying moment for Israel. As they came up to this mountain, they were freaked out. I kind of think Cowardly Lion and the Wizard of Oz. You know what I mean? He's, he's walking up and he approaches the dude behind the curtain. He finds out later. He goes jumping out the side. If you didn't see the, the end movie, I'm sorry I ruined the end there for you. It's the guy behind the curtain, everybody. Anyway, and so this is what I think of, though. This is not like this joyful thing. This is like some serious fear going on in their lives. Now, here's the deal. You and I didn't come to this today. No one walked into this building thinking the stage would be on fire with the presence of God. We had some smoke, but that's a different story, right? None of you guys walked in thinking, if I do or say the wrong thing, or if I approach too close, what's going to happen to me? Well, I'll even walk out alive. Now, see, because God was establishing something. And he's holy. And he's pure. And he can't just casually interact with sinful people. And this is this huge setup to the story that we're looking at here tonight. Look what he says in verse 19. He says, to a trumpet blast. So in other words, you didn't come to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. What's this referencing? Again, remember, the Israelites are gathered. They come to this mountain. And I want you to actually see what we're talking about here. Look at Exodus 20. This is what this verse is referencing. It says this, When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. The people are petrified of God here. You did not unite. We didn't come to church like that tonight. And if, and if you did, maybe you did walk in scared tonight of God. You, you don't have to be. 
because something changed. Something's different here in Act 3. Here, we're living in the outcome of the whole setup in Act 2, right? But here are these people terrified. Why are they terrified? Because they're sinful and God is holy. Why are they terrified? Because they, God just gave them the Ten Commandments and they know they can't keep them. They know they're in trouble. They're sitting there going, Moses is rattling off the Ten Commandments and they're sitting there going, well, I broke seven out of the ten so far. I think I'm in trouble, right? And that was just today, you know? And so they know that they're in serious trouble. This is not what you and I experienced when we came in here today, right? I mean, just imagine, they're they're not sitting by this mountain singing, how he loves us, right? They're like, how he scares us, you know, how he terrifies us, you know, run and hide. No, I don't. So so here we have this incredibly different picture. But, But wait, but is God schizophrenic? Then why is he so different? What's going on here? Well, remember, this is the setup. Think about it. You you wouldn't call the writer of one of your favorite movies with one of those huge twists. You wouldn't call him up and be like, bro, you need some help, man. You were like, you had one whole thought going through your mind through the whole beginning of the movie, and then like at the end, everything changed. I think you need some help. No, you recognize. He was writing the setup for this beautiful, amazing, mind-blowing outcome. And that's what the Old Testament is. That's what the law is. It was given to set everything up in motion. And just remember... That God created us for act one, perfection. And then it was mankind's sin that created the wall between us and God. And here, so we're looking at this setup. It goes on even a little more. It says this, if if even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. And so if even an animal, so let's say one of the Israelites is walking, right? And they got a goat with them or something. And the animal touches the mountain, God says you have to put that animal to death because it touched the mountain of God. So there's just this incredible distinction being made of pure and unpure, holy and unholy. And those two cannot mix. And so we have this different picture than what you and I are used to. And I think it's so interesting that it says here that even Moses was trembling with fear. See, the way it worked before Jesus came was God wouldn't just speak to like me and you. No, God had like Moses or David or Isaiah or one of these famous guys, he'd speak to them and then they'd go speak to the people. God wouldn't just speak to any one of us. And so here's Moses, the representative, the man of God, afraid in this moment. I think about the last verse where they said, tell God not even to speak to us. Like like Moses, you talk, but if God speaks, man, we're gonna die, don't even talk to us. I think about how it said that they stood at a distance. So in other words, here's the mountain of God and they're coming up toward the mountain and they're getting probably about back to the back wall there and they're going, I want to go any closer. I hear you and I tonight are saying, God, closer, please. God, speak to me, please. What happened? Something has drastically changed here. Why was life like this? Why was it so different for them? Because they were imperfect and God was perfect. They couldn't come in casually. God was showing his holiness. Are you seeing how different it is for you and me today? They have huge access issues. They can't just talk to God when they want to talk to God. They have to go through a priest, or they have to go through Moses, or they have to go through someone who can represent them to God. They can't just pray. They can't just come into God's presence and worship. They have to have perform all these animal sacrifices before their sins even covered so they can approach God. This huge, huge setup. They're afraid of God. So what has happened? What has changed? What is different? Well, we're going to find out in Acts chapter, or in Act 
act, cha- act chapter, act three. I knew I was going to do that. All right. So in act three, we now see the difference. We now see what has happened to make this change for you and for me. So look at what it says, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Doesn't this sound a little bit different than what we just read about? So, so now we have this incredible, I mean, that kind of looks like a party going on, right? This is referencing heaven, okay? So this is us now saying, okay, you haven't come to this scary doom and gloom mountain. No, you've come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, thousands of angels in joyful assembly. That's what you and I have come to. That's the relationship we now get to have with God. That's what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus And then it says this in verse 23, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. Your name's written in heaven. Can you imagine uh, what those people who approached that mountain that day must have been feeling? Must have been so scared of the holiness of God. Yet you and I, and we walked in, and if we have a relationship with Jesus, we walked in going, my name is written in heaven despite how I messed up yesterday and how I'll mess up tomorrow. My name is written in heaven, a security, loved by God, accepted by God. How's all this possible? Well, he goes on a little bit more. He says, you have come to God, the judge of all. Well, if he's the judge from the mountain, I don't want to see him. But wait, he's a different kind of judge now. How's that possible? Well, look what it says next. To the spirit, spirits of the righteous made perfect. That's a verse about you. Your righteous, made perfect. Now, that word made is really important. You did not make yourself perfect. You did not decide to suddenly change and become this new person and turn a new leaf. No, God made you perfect and made you righteous. Well, how did he do it? Look at what it says next. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Here it is. You and I, we should appreciate what we have in God today because we've come to Jesus, the mediator, of a new covenant. Now, what does that mean? Well, he made us perfect. How did he do it? Well, the first covenant that Moses had was basically God saying, here are the rules, keep them, and I will be your God. If you obey, then things are going to go good for you. If you don't obey, things are going to go really bad for you. So here's the first old covenant. You can see why the people were so scared, because they knew themselves, right? They knew they couldn't keep the Old Covenant. They knew they couldn't keep the Ten Commandments. And so they were terrified. The question, of course, is why give them the commandments if they knew they couldn't keep them? Because that was the point. The point was they couldn't keep them. You know know why the Ten Commandments were given? So that the people in Israel would go, God, we can't keep these. Can, Can you save us? Can you rescue us? The commandments were given so that you and I could go, there's no possible way on my best day I could keep all these laws. And just to tell you, there's a lot more than 10. There's a lot more than 10 commandments. You start to read through the Old Testament, you'll be falling asleep drooling on your Bible before you get through them all. There's a lot of commandments. And you and I needed a Savior to come and to rescue us. And so the commandments and the law was given so we would realize how far we were from keeping it so that someone would come and save us. When I was 14 years old, I was in my first rock and roll band, and I was the drummer in this band. I'm not going to tell you the name because it's too embarrassing. And so I was in this band, and we were driving as a band one day, and we were going to try to cover this famous song off the radio. 
And so we were practicing singing. All four of us were going to sing harmonies on this part, right? And so we're practicing, and we're singing along to the radio, and we're thinking, man, we, we're killing it. We sound awesome, you know? And so we're going over it and going over it. And then our lead singer said, okay, let's practice it one more time. And so we, you know, started playing the song again, and we're singing our hearts out. And right when we got to the point where we would have sung the harmony, he turned the radio off. And all that filled the car were our four voices, and when we were done with this, we looked at each other in horror and never spoke of it or tried it again. <laughs> because we realized two things. Number one, how good the voices on that radio were. And number two, how far we fell short. And that's the Old Testament. That's the law. It was given to us to establish something. That how good God is. How holy and pure he is. And secondly, how far we fall short. Now, God's goal is not to make you feel like a loser. God's goal is not to say, see, I told you how terrible you are. No, it's to help us go, help me. Help me now, God. I do this with my kids sometimes, you know? Like, I'll go and try to help one of them, and nah, I got this. All right, man, go ahead. Go ahead, try. My goal is not to make my son or my daughter feel bad in that moment. It's for them to, go ahead, do your best, but then eventually look up at me and go, okay, could you help now? Could you save me here? And that's what the Old Testament was. That's what the Ten Commandments were. That's what was going on here. And it was the setup to the amazing outcome. And so we got this old covenant that no one can live up to, but Jesus mediated a new covenant. The word mediator means a go-between. You ever had somebody who mediated something for you? So you're over here, and you're angry, and you can't figure out how to talk to the person over here, and they're angry, and someone comes between and works it out between you? Jesus was the mediator between you and me and God the Father. And Jesus didn't mediate by going over to his, to his father going, you know what, can we just cut them a little slack? And I know they get, you, they get you upset and coming over to us and saying, guys, just try a little harder. No, listen to this, guys. Jesus mediated from the cross. That's how he mediated for you and me. That's how he went between you and me and God. He had to give his life. He died in our place. He took the sin that you and I would commit on himself, and then the Father crucified that sin in him. That's how he mediated for you and, my, you and me. The people at the mountain didn't have that. The people back in Moses' day didn't have that. Now here's God's grace. He gave pictures that that was coming. He told them, hey, a Savior is going to come, and he gave little pictures. In fact, the whole sacrifice system, is like a whole other message, but the whole sacrifice system of the Old Testament was to show people that a, a Savior was coming. A sacrifice would eventually be made that would not just cover sin, but remove it. It's a whole other message, right? But God was gracious to say, look ahead, look ahead. But now we get to look back. We get to go, it is finished. Jesus has already done this and already accomplished this. Then it says this, and this is the beauty of Act, Act 3, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You and I come to the Savior who sprinkled his blood. And this is a confusing verse, but it's a really powerful one if we look into it. It speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What does that mean? Okay, so some of you guys know the story, right? Cain kills his brother Abel. Remember that? Cain takes the life of innocent Abel. And I want you to see the conversation between God and Cain after he does this. Look at what it says. Genesis 4 verse 9 says this. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Now God knows, obviously. He's trying to draw out the truth. I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Then look at what God says. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So if, if 
uh, Abel's blood could speak, what would it say? What would it cry out? You know what it would cry out? Revenge. Vengeance. Justice. Payback. But Jesus' blood speaks a better word than Abel's. Because you know what Jesus' blood speaks? Mercy. Grace. And so you and I come to this merciful, gracious thing that the people at the mountain thousands of years ago never had. If you're not a follower of Jesus, please pay attention to this next verse, Hebrews 12, 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? What's this verse saying? Saying, hey, Jesus died, he rose back from the dead, he ascended to heaven, and now he pleads with you and me to take his offer of salvation to not turn away, to not walk away, to not turn our back and try to just be a good person. No, take this offer of salvation. And then we're going to end here in these couple verses. Verse 28, Therefore, this, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and here's the response, here's what we do now that we appreciate what we have, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. What do we do? What do we do because we don't come to the mountain of doom and gloom and commandments and law today, what do we do? We worship God. We thankfully worship God. We excitedly, with reverence and awe, come back to him and approach him because of all that he has done for us. That's the appropriate response to what we have. And so I hope Grandpa's getting through up here reminding you what it used to be like and what we now have instead. And I love those last few words in verse 29. For our God is a consuming fire. I think that's a reference back to the first mountain. It's a reference back. Remember that picture we saw of that first mountain? It was on fire. But I want you to think about this for a second. You could still say God is a consuming fire, but think about this. That fire that should have consumed you and me because of our sin, that fire consumed the Son of God in our place. That's what you and I come to today. The blood that cries out mercy and grace. And so what I hope you guys are seeing today is all that God has done for you. And I hope that you guys will walk out of here with this thought. Let's rediscover our appreciation for what Jesus has done for us. That's what I think all this is coming down to. Let's just rediscover that appreciation for what Jesus has done for you and me. For some of us, we had it once, but we lost it. For some of us, we're discovering it for the first time. But man, there should be some incredible appreciation drawn out of you and me because of what Jesus has done for us. Well, what has he done for us? Well, he mediated a new covenant. He was the go-between, and he did it with his life. He saved us from eternal separation from God. He made us righteous before God. He's given us access to God. You tonight can pray to God. You can worship God. You can open up your Bible and learn about God. You can complain to God and it counts as prayer. God, my life is so hard right now. Be with me. This is terrible. This stinks. This hurts. And you have a father listening who loves you. You have access to God at any moment. I was talking with this amazing family after the second service today and the, one of them was saying, I don't know how to pray. And I said, just talk. Just talk to God. Tell him what you're feeling. Tell them what you're thinking. Tell them what's wrong in your life. Tell them what's great in your life. See, you and I, we have the ability to access him like this. The people at the mountain didn't have that. And so I hope today you're seeing all that God has done for you. And here's what will happen as we rediscover our appreciation for all that Jesus has done for us. You know what will happen? Well, 
our relationship with God will come to life again, right? When we rediscover that appreciation, our, our relationship with God will come alive, right? Remember before I said that when we lose the appreciation, that passion goes out the window? Well, when you rediscover it, your passion jumps again, right? Because, wow, you're passionate about what you appreciate. Know what else will happen? When you rediscover what Jesus has done for you, start telling people about Jesus again. Start saying, wow, God's done so much in my life. You, you, gotta, you gotta come check out church. You gotta, you gotta let me pray for you. Can I pray for you? Can I just pray for what's going on in your life? Maybe you got some rough things happening. Let me pray for you. And lastly, we will struggle with sin less. Why is that true? Because we honor what we appreciate. And when we begin to appreciate Jesus again, when that appreciation grows back in our hearts and we think, man, I have it so good today. Is life still hard? Yeah. Do I wish I could see Jesus like face to face here in this moment? Yeah. But I have great news for you. We talked about Act 1, Act 2, and Act 3 today. And there's an Act 4 coming. And that's in heaven. And that's when you and I get to look at Jesus right in the face. And the only reason Act 4 is possible is because of the, of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus today, I'd love for you to put your trust in him. I would love for you to look to him and say, all right, save me. I can't come keep all these commandments. I can't get them right. I, I, I need your help, God. And if you are a follower of Jesus, then man, I hope if the difficulties of life or the used to itness, or just forgetting what it used to be like, I hope all that will go out the window and that appreciation will grow in your heart again. And you might be asking a really great question right now. And the question is this. Okay, so if it's not about the commandments and it's not about keeping the law, then do I still have to do the right thing? And the answer is yes, you still have to do the right thing. Why though? That's what's changed. You still want to do the right thing, but it's not to appease God. It's because you already have his love and his salvation. Like I said, we honor what we appreciate. And so if I appreciate the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross in my place, then man, I'm going to begin to aim my life at honoring him out of love and out of worship and out of gratitude and appreciation. If you're a follower of Jesus, I hope tonight you're saying, man, I want that joy back. I want that passion back. I want to begin telling people about Jesus more and more again. And man, I really long to live for him and honor him with my life. So let's rediscover what Jesus has done for us. Let's rediscover that appreciation that some of us have just lost in this last season of our lives. And let's see all that God will do in response. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you desire to bring to life all that is sort of dry and dreary and lifeless, God. We thank you so much that, God, you want to kind of shake us out of that whole, like, oh yeah, I'm just used to this Christian stuff. God, you want us to remember how different all that we have today in you is than what they had thousands of years ago. That incredible setup for this amazing outcome. And so, God, I thank you for all that you've done for us. And I thank you, God, that you have great things for us as we put our trust in you and as we step forward in appreciating all that you've done. So if you're a follower of Jesus, can you pray about a few things? Would you maybe pray about if the difficulties of life have kind of eaten away at your appreciation of Jesus? Would you maybe pray about if the used to itness has stolen some of that passion and appreciation? Would you pray about the maybe just the the whole idea of, wow, I've never really appreciated that. I'm not coming to a doom and gloom mountain. I'm coming to grace. I'm coming to life. I'm coming to a joyful assembly. 
Would you pray about just that passion coming back? Would you pray about sharing who Jesus is with people? And would you pray about honoring him with your life? If you're not a follower of Jesus, then I would love for you to put your trust in him today. If you want to put your trust in him, maybe you can just quietly just respond. Remember I said earlier, prayer is just talking to God. Maybe you want to just begin a conversation with him, something like this today. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for mediating in my place. Thank you for being consumed, God, in my place. Thank you for your love. Thank you that I don't come to doom and gloom today, but I come to joy and hope and grace and mercy. God, forgive me for my sin. Show me how real you are. God, you transform my life. Thank you for this gift of salvation I don't deserve.